So hi everyone, my name is Calvin Cottrell. I'm a fourth year in the college, um, majoring in political science and student body president this year. Um, with the invitation of Steve Bannon, there's been lots of discussion on campus about what an event should look like, the merits of that sort of event, and how we can best structure it to make sure it's productive for campus if it does happen. In that vein, there's been a couple meetings already about event logistics, um, debating and discussing the merits of an invitation like that, and talking about the best way to involve the student body in a discussion about the merits of inviting Steve Bannon here, what free speech looks like on this campus, and how to structure an event if it does happen to make sure it's productive for everyone. Kind of in that vein, there was a meeting this past Friday with student government representatives, along with representatives from a couple other RSOs, with Professor Zingales here about those very questions. And from that conversation, and for other reasons such as a silent sit-in of a classroom, for example, we decided it would be productive to have an open, a moderated town hall with students um, where they could share their own perspectives and ask their own thoughtful but critical questions about a Steve Bannon invitation. Um, today, there are three co-hosts of this event. So there's myself, Calvin Cottrell, like I said. There's Victoria Kofsky, who is a third year in the college. And there's Madeline Johnson, who's a second year in the college. So the three of us are going to be facilitating this town hall, along with um, professors and Gales to make sure that student perspectives are heard and that you all feel as if you have an opportunity to share your ideas and your concerns about this invitation. A few things to note at the top of this program is that um, The Maroon is recording. Our favorite campus uh, newspaper <laughs> will be recording conversations. So um, just know that this is an open forum that's on the record. There also may be other news outlets in the room, so um, questions, concerns, behavior that happens in here would be on the record. To do um, some more introductions, if you don't already know about him, Professor Zingales is the Robert C. McCormack Distinguished Service Professor of Entrepreneurship and Finance here at Booth. He, his research interests span from corporate governance to finance development from political economy and the economic effects of culture. He invited Steve Bannon to try to facilitate a discussion, and that's exactly what we're gonna be doing here today. Some more structure about an event like of this town hall. There were, um, there were note cards that were passed out beforehand where people can write questions if they have any. This is just one way that we will be getting questions from audience members. We will also be doing a Q&A portion where we will just be calling people from the audience. But if you're not the type to speak up and talk in front of a crowd, for example, or if you just want to make sure your particular question gets in the pile or in the stack to be asked, um, make sure you write that, write it down, pass it to the ends. Um, and Madeline and Victoria are going to be walking along the edges, collecting those, bringing them up to me. I'm going to help um, work them into our discussion here. Um, besides that, I think 
there isn't too much um, other explanation that we have to do about a town hall format like that. Like I said, my name's Calvin, I'm gonna be moderating. Um, maybe if we could start with just a couple minutes where Professor Zingales can talk about some of his motivations and share some of his ideas about why um, this invitation happened. Okay, so first of all, thanks for organizing this. I'm, I'm very happy to have a chance to talk in, and discuss with you. I think that uh, one of, uh, I hope of the benefits of this is more interaction, more learning. And uh, this is, I mean, in, uh, in both directions. I'm, I'm here to learn uh, your feelings and, uh, uh, and explain my, my reasons. So, um, why, why Steve Bannon? First of all, um, I direct a center that uh, has invited a lot of uh, uh, people of different uh, political affiliation, different ideas, different things. So uh, this is, uh, in my view, not such a, a novel thing to do. Um, I, for, for myself, I'm particularly interested in uh, uh, the rise of populism uh, in the United States. And uh, for example, uh, my center's co-sponsor will have a law school a conference at the beginning of this year that you can find uh, on uh, on the uh, center website uh, uh, all the panels about uh, populist plutocrats a lesson from uh, abroad uh, comparing um, different types from uh, Berlusconi to Taksim from Duterte to Fujimori that um, have uh, some similarities with uh, uh, Trump and uh, um, and it's actually very useful to do it in a comparative uh, analysis because you see how many similarities there are. And uh, the reason uh, of my interest for Bannon is because uh, in spite of uh, sort of uh, the, the character of the guy, I think that uh, he uh, was able to interpret uh, and understand a feature of the American people that actually we academics miss. Uh, Everybody at the University of Chicago was shocked on November whatever seven uh, when the results came in, and uh, particularly was shocked of the fact that there was a large fraction of uh, Middle America that uh, uh, revolted in a pretty clear way, and uh, and Bannon seems to be selling some kind of uh, nationalist populist with clearly uh, some racist component in it. Um, but the question is, is this an interesting uh, approach? Or is, it, is, a, is a potential sort of a, a new ideology that might dominate at least a, a political party in the near future? Um, is this a response to a fundamental problem? There is an economist. Um, that Danny Roderick, they say that there, there is an incompatibility between three elements, globalization, um, democracy, and national sovereignty. And uh, the three things don't seem to go along very well. And uh, Bannon seems to be selling a pretty explosive combination of nationalism and, uh, and uh, uh, sort of uh, maybe lack of democracy against globalization. And I think he's sort of uh, useful to confront this challenge because whether you like it or not, this challenge represents, I would say, 30% of the American people take it or leave it. So it's not like uh, a fringe thing, it's a, a, ma a mainstream uh, alternative. 
And, uh, and I think this mainstream alternative should be confronted uh, in a serious debate. Uh, I never consider inviting Bannon to give a speech. Uh, I wanted him to, to debate with, uh, with faculty, and that's the goal of uh, my uh, initiative, and uh, hopefully involve uh, you guys as well. And with this I stop, because otherwise I will talk all the time. And, uh, I'm here to listen, not to talk. Yeah, great, thank you um, for that introduction to some of your thinking about this invitation. Um, before we open it up to Q&A, again, if you have any questions, make sure you write them on the cards, pass them to the ends of the aisles. Also, um, make sure that you're asking questions in the form of a question, <laughs> um, so that way we can get to as many people as possible. Um, while those cards are being passed to the end, I think, I'll open it up with a quick question. Um, just from what I'm hearing, I can't speak for all students, but there's lots of concerns about safety and about an event like this. Um, for some context, the Anti-Defamation League, which is one of the largest anti-Semitism organizations in the US, recently came out with a report that has found over 200% increases in hate crimes on college campuses. How do you think an invite like this pairs with that broader political climate? So when you are saying uh, safety, I think there are two levels of safety. There is one, uh, physical safety, especially around the event, and uh, if you want, we can discuss that, but uh, as I told you, uh, at this point, this is uh, done by people who are better than me at doing this uh, to make sure that this happens. Um, there is another um, level, which I think you are referring to, which is equally important, and is, um, what is the level of intimidation that people feel on campus in, in various ways? Um, and I think that uh, uh, we shouldn't be tolerant in any way with the intolerant. In a sense, if people uh, do do intimidation, if they uh, encourage hate crime, it's a crime itself. And, uh, and I think that uh, we should uh, be no tolerant in allowing this. Um, my reading of Bannon and my uh, reading of Bannon uh, is that uh, he is, if you want, uh, maybe unfortunately more sophisticated than that. He is not somebody that uh, uh, sort of uh, goes out and make uh, idiot statement. Uh, I I'm sorry to say, our president is much worse than that. Uh, I know that's a low standard, but, uh, uh, and, uh, I think he does it in a more subtle way, and that is why I think need be confronted in a, in a subtle way. In a sense, if you are in front of somebody shouting, you can reply by shouting. If you are in front of somebody more clever than that, shouting back is not going to do it. Um, so, do we have any anyone who wants to kick off the Q and A portion then? Guys, don't feel embarrassed. I don't give you a grade. Yeah. So uh, this is a free for all. <coughs> yeah. So right here in the tan jacket. Is there a, is there any significance between your invitation and this being banned for public appearance and then leaving the White House? Um, no. Uh, in a sense, maybe is the reason why he has tentatively accepted because he sort of uh, has nothing better to do. Uh, but uh, uh, no, I. 
actually, my idea to in, in, uh, invite him what predates at least his uh, uh, being fired from Breivart. Uh, so it's not, uh, but I think it, to some extent, it makes it uh, easier to have a conversation because he does not represent uh, anybody except his ideas in this moment. And uh, so he's not charged with uh, sort of being a, I was there of course it's a partisan figure, so it is a partisan figure, but it's not, it's, it, yeah, it's not representing any institution in this moment, yeah. Thank you. Other questions? Yes, the back, with the hat. Hi, um, so the question was raised about safety on campus, and the um, climate on campus, and I wanted to put a little finer point on that in asking this question. Um, so in the last couple of years on the Chicago's campus, I think people know about the campus climate survey, I actually hope that uh, a, an invitation to Bannon might squash that, in a sense that, uh, first of all, I think that uh, one of the things I want to do is uh, try to make uh, Bannon accountable for his uh, flirting or playing with racism. I think that uh, I do recognize that uh, he has some uh, interesting points. I do recognize that uh, he plays with a, with a racial, racist card and he shouldn't. So I think that uh, uh, recognizing uh, and on one hand, making the legitimate ideas a legitimate matter of conversation, and uh, on the other hand, uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, asking him to be accountable on the rest should uh, help separate uh, the fringe from, uh, from the rest. I think that uh, uh, my experience, the uh, people who came Friday got more than their fair share of uh, lessons in Italian history because my experience of growing up in Italy, but uh, when I grew up in Italy in the 70s, uh, there were the Red Brigades. The Red Brigades were people that were shooting uh, uh, professors and uh, other uh, people. Um, and they were the most extreme version of a variety of people from the, from the left. And uh, the Red Brigades survived and thrived until uh, the rest of this political spectrum did not cut down a line and said, uh, one thing is to be leftist, you can be how Marx-Leninist you want, the other thing is to shoot. And we're not gonna tolerate, we're not gonna endorse, we're not gonna protect, we're not gonna do anything of that type. And then when that happened, the Red Brigades, that, just to give you a sense, kidnap and kill a former prime minister of Italy. So we're like doing whatever they wanted in Italy at the time. They were destroyed in a matter of two years. So in my view, 
the extremism is simply the manifestation of uh, a background that leaves. And what is very important is not to ignore it, not to tolerate it, but to shed light and to force people to know on what side of the line they are. There is a line within the freedom of speech. There is an, a line outside that is hate, crime, violence that should not be tolerated. So, um, I, I was wondering, um, there's a few points that I'm going to ask, like, my question. Um, the first is that, um, the danger of Bannon coming to speak, whether it's in, on the campus, in Hyde Park, in Chicago, or actually anywhere in the country, is that, um, his presence would draw people from the alt-right, other fascists, um, and there's historical precedence for this with, with Milo, why, um, and Coulter, Trump even at UIC. Um, and the question of security, which you, you kind of brought up, um, I also think people who are most affected by this, which are minority populations, are not gonna feel more safe with more police around either. So, um, and these people, like Bannon might be coming for a debate, and that's fine, but these people who he's drawing are certainly not coming for a dialogue, for a chit chat. They're coming to terrorize, and frankly, um, oftentimes pick a fight. Um, and so my question is, who is responsible when people get hurt? Um, and you know, I understand like your intent to take Bannon's brain, that makes sense. Um, I feel like that's, that's drawing a lot of people towards this and a lot of people do want to do that. Um, but it kind of does give value to, to an ideology that is as American as apple pie. It's kind of what you were saying with, with, in reference to Italy. This comes from somewhere. This comes from some, some kind of foundation. Um, there has to be like some kind of, there must be a better way to do this um, than putting people in harm's way, right? So in other words, who's <coughs> responsible when this kind of thing happens? Okay, so uh, you put a lot of things together. Let's try to sort of uh, unpack it a bit and try to see what I can uh, answer them all. So let's start to the previous cases. So take the ca case of Milo Yiannopoulos at Berkeley. Uh, my reading of that, first of all, I want to make the distinction between these two things. They seem similar, but first of all, Milo Yiannopoulos seems like more a provocateur than actually somebody. He was not the one who won an election for a president, and he was invited by a partisan organization to give a speech. Uh, here is all the opposite. But besides that, when I look at the, at the, at the evidence of what happened in Berkeley, uh, was all done by the black bloc. Uh, there wasn't any neo-Nazi creating trouble. Well, the black bloc creating trouble. So um, I'm a little bit nervous, and then, and then I come to neo-Nazi, I'm not saying neo-Nazi don't exist, but uh, I, I'm a little bit nervous of a situation in which uh, a political side creates with the fringes. I'm not saying that any of you here want to do the imbalance, but uh, there's uh, some fringes that create violence and then with the other hand say you can't invite it because create violence. Because in a sense, that's exactly the game that the Nazi and the fascists play, especially in Germany and Italy, in which they say you can't invite a, a socialist to speak because that would be violence. Gee, they were creating the violence to begin with. So that, that's a bit uh, indulgent. So uh, that's number one, we need to make sure that uh, we make every effort on every dimension 
not to draw in people that want to create violence. And, uh, and I think that uh, having a control event uh, at the UFC during the campaign was an open event with 20,000 people. Uh, this will be a ticketed event with 300 people. So that's a completely different order of magnitude between uh, these things. Now, uh, does this eliminate completely uh, the risk? Absolutely not. Should the risk be such that uh, in, uh, we should cancel? Uh, three years ago, the, a French group here invited, uh, if I pronounce that, Zineb El Wazi, was one of the members of uh, Charlie Hebdo, who just was lucky enough not to be uh, there the day of the massacre. And when uh, the university learned that uh, she was here, of course, imagine they brought all security at the wall, uh, gigantic security. So you should not invite that person because that was a risk of security. I think that that's a bit, uh, in my view, uh, uh, strange, let's put it this way, this way. And I can go with other example. Uh, last fall, there was a show at the Logan Center uh, where one of the artists uh, portrayed a register of sex offenders and actually invited some sex offenders at the exhibit. Uh, I, I'm a father of, of, uh, of kids who come to the last school, etc. How should I feel about that? Should I have stopped the, the show just because my kids were in danger? Uh, so I think that uh, uh, we have the benefit of being at a great university who not only preach, but also has the resources to back free speech. And so the, the sex offender were invited, the uh, Charlie Abdo journalists were invited. I don't know why sort of uh, uh, Steve Bannon cannot be invited. And, and honestly, I don't like the argument, which has been made to me by many, many people, that I am responsible for the violence. I think the people committing the violence are responsible for the, for the violence. And I will do my best to, first of all, tell people not to do any uh, counter-protest. I saw uh, on Instagram that there were a few people counter-protesting on Friday. Uh, they look very harmless to me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think that, uh, and, and I hope they will remain harmless, uh, but I think, and I will do all my best, I don't think there is any reason to counter-protest. I think that I understand that uh, there are people who have strong feeling, and I really value uh, your protest. Uh, I had Madeline and Victoria in my class, and at the end I congratulated Madeline because uh, she was there for three hours. Not only she resisted three hours in my class, which is <laughs> better than most students, but she was there three hours with a, with a pause without <coughs> interfering with the class. So the class went along, but she made her protest very, very clear. I think that that's a very civilized way to do it, a great way to do it. I invite you to continue doing that to make your, your voice being heard, uh, but that's very different than uh, uh, inviting groups that might sort of create tension and, and uh, crashes, etc. And, and this is the argument I was making before, distinguishing in this continuum between the people on this side of the line and people outside the line, that should be done on both sides of the political spectrum. Just following up on that, um, one of the submitted questions we got um, said that you're quoted as saying that disinviting Bannon would, quote, let him play the victim. Can you provide some further argument around that view and why you think that's true? So 
know, my, my wife comes from Indiana, and uh, I have uh, some uh, acquired relatives in Indiana, which is pretty much sort of a, a Bannon's land or Trump's land. So I get to sort of hear what they say and uh, uh, their feelings. And uh, that's my little uh, inroad on uh, a part of America that otherwise I wouldn't be very familiar with. And, uh, and I think there is this perception, whether this is true or not, but there is this perception that uh, college, uh, colleges in America are completely dominated by uh, left-wing ideology that right-wing people cannot talk. Uh, and to the point, to the point that uh, now you, people start to develop a contempt for great institutions like this one. And I think that uh, uh, one of the many reasons to invite Bannon is to say that a great institution like ours has no fear of confronting Steve Bannon. Uh, we are not ideologically biased. Freedom of speech is, is uh, for everybody. And, uh, and I think it would be very sad if uh, somehow I were to be forced to sort of uh, uh, disinvite him. And certainly, that will play on the narrative right or wrong, the narrative that there is no space for other ideas on campus, there is no space for real debate, but uh, there is only a debate within people who all think alike, which is not a debate uh, in my view. Okay. Uh, with the scar? Um, Um, again, uh, security is above my pay grade, but I'm very happy to, first of all, bring these uh, uh, suggestions to who uh, deal with security and uh, try to do the best to, to isolate. I think that uh, our goals are, are common. I think that uh, we need to isolate violence on uh, it, wherever it comes from the political spectrum. I think that violence has no reason to exist on campus. Hopefully, there's no reason to exist, period, but particularly on, on campus. And so any, any idea, and I welcome yours, any idea would be utilized to try to do that. Yeah. Um, so not really a challenge, but why don't you invite him to a summer? Like, in addition to having him speak, if you want to challenge that, get room professors to actually talk to the students. I feel like that'd be good. You're saying that uh, in addition to the event, adding in, in a seminar. Why not? Okay. Like actually have that link. I, I uh, let me m let me think about this uh, again. It might be a security consideration, but uh, it's a good idea. Yes. 
I'm sorry, I just saw the Instagram picture and the, the, that was not showing that. So I, I take it back. I, I only saw the, the, the picture. And the sure, I understand that. And there, and there was no you know, physical violence that broke out at the rally, but I'm not made, safe, I'm not made to feel safe by hearing anti-Semitic conspiracy theories shouted at me on this campus. But all of the examples you gave involved people who opposed the speaker coming and being a source of violence. I believe a large number of students and community members and staff have brought up as a concern is supporters of banning coming and causing violence. And you know, you can you can make some argument as to why that shouldn't be a reason to cancel the event either, but I would like you to engage with that scenario and not give examples that involve opponents of the speech using some sort of heckler's veto to shut it down. Rather, what we're talking about is banning supporters coming and unleashing the kind of violence that Bannon has encouraged and emboldened across this country. Okay, so, so first of all, thank you for letting me know. I did not know there were sort of a chanting anti-Semitic things. It, this, this, is, this is terrible and uh, should not be tolerated. Um, second, uh, I'm not trying to uh, uh, remove the possibility that uh, some extremists will come with Bannon. In, in this moment, uh, Bannon does not seem to be sort of uh, in vogue with any particular group. And this is not uh, with Breivad anymore. Um, even the Republican Party does not like it very much. Even the president does not like it very much. So I, I don't know uh, exactly which group will be sort of uh, coming with him, but uh, uh, I, I welcome any, any suggestion. I certainly will tell him, uh, for what that matters, that uh, we are not going to tolerate sort of uh, crazy people showing up, but, uh, and we're not gonna indulge in those, but uh, I don't know whether this is a, a sufficient uh, uh, reply. And certainly, I've discussed with security, and security is thinking about all this possibility. Um, other, other suggestion, uh, I'm all here to, to, to listen to suggestion. I, I don't know what else can be done to minimize that risk. Yeah. So, Steve, Steve Bannon's been making these sort of movies and sort of promoting his ideology for a very long time and seems to have only really come to prominence um, recently. And we also see how he sort of came up against Trump when Trump came to contradict some of his ideas, was kicked out of the administration. And sort of the people that I think you're saying that he has all this insight on did not exactly follow him. Um, so sort of shifting gears, I just, wonder, in light of the fact that, I, I just wonder how much unique insight he really does have on this moment in America. So, um, you know, first of all, uh, we all make mistakes, so it's, I might discover that he has no unique insights, uh, but uh, I, I disagree a bit with your characterization. It says, certainly, he fell off with the president. My, my uh, kind of uh, interpretation uh, is that uh, there were two souls in the um, Trump movement. There was the billionaire souls and the populist souls. And uh, uh, Bannon represented the, the populist soul. And clearly, the billionaire soul has taken over. And uh, the, the trip to Davos, uh, the State of the Union, all these things 
seems to suggest in that direction. Now, the big question is, uh, is the populist sort of a streak gonna disappear from America? And uh, I don't think so. Uh, let me tell you this fact. In 2011, I did some uh, survey and I asked uh, a random sample of a thousand Americans, what did they feel about uh, free trade? And I discovered, I was surprised at the time, that Republicans were much more against free trade than Democrats. And the Tea Party, the Tea Party was going strong at the time, the Tea Party, people were much more against free trade than the typical Republican. And the puzzling fact is 2011, from 2011 to 2016, so five years go by, and nobody really in the Republican Party represented that fraction that was not trivial, that was conservative and anti-free trade. And the question is, is why? And the answer is very simple, is that uh, the Republicans, and some may say even the Democrats, but certainly the Republicans, have a money primary before they have a, a active primary. So you go to um, rich people like Edelson and you pitch your argument and uh, if he likes you, he gives you a financing to do the primary. If not, uh, your history. And so because the, the billionaires are in favor of uh, free trade, no Republicans were defending. And so Bannon, I think that uh, tap this side of the Republican uh, Party that is, in my view, much more, uh, much stronger than people make it to be. Uh, and, uh, and I fear that uh, it will be the next future of the Republican Party. Well, that, it just seems to me that a lot of that, I, I agree with everything you just said, it seems like a lot of that has to do more with you know, the messaging of the Republican Party and, and Trump specifically going into the, the actual any policies. You see that so many Trump supporters have you know, maintained support for Trump and not sort of railed against him in the way that Bannon has, as you said, as like the billionaire soul of that side of the presidency has won out. Um, the, the problem is, in the sense, first of all, the, the president has always some following just because he's the president, okay? And, uh, uh, but in addition to that, look also outside of the United States. This is not a US problem. It's a Western world problem. You see Brexit, you see Poland, you see Hungary, you see Greece, you see basically most countries in the world today have some form of populist revolt against the elite. And uh, sometimes it's interpreted as a leftist protest. Look at Podemos. Sometimes it's interpreted as right wing. You go to Hungary and you think that uh, um, the, the president Orban is actually right wing. There is a right wing party to the right of Orban with 50% of the vote. So this is not, I, my fear is this is not going away with Trump. Okay, this is much longer lasting, and we need to understand it from the beginning. Great, so just to get a couple more questions in here. Um, do you know of any similar cases of academics engaging with Bannon types where there's been useful knowledge created um, or that the communities involved weren't seriously hurt? Well, first of all, um, I don't know how you consider Marie Le Pen, but Marie Le Pen, um, I think, is worse than, than Bannon, in my view, because uh, I never seen, never heard Bannon making explicit uh, 
racial stuff, racist stuff, and, uh, and uh, Marie Le Pen has done it. So, uh, not to mention her father was even worse. Um, but uh, Emmanuel Macron is not exactly an academic, but he's uh, a pretty smart fellow, and uh, he decided to debate her. Uh, um, when uh, Chirac ran against her father, uh, he refused to debate. Him, uh, on the ground that he was a racist, so you don't debate with a racist. Uh, Macron debated with her, and not only won the election, probably would have won anyway, but I think seriously damaged her brand. And uh, last uh, week there was a supplementary election in France, and Marie Le Pen did very poorly. And I attribute this to, uh, to that. I think that, uh, again, there is this uh, uh, um, kind of... Uh, defense that, oh, we are right, everybody's against us, nobody let us talk, and uh, all the liberal establishment. And uh, the great thing is Chicago is not exactly known as this super liberal place. So if Bannon comes here and is exposed in its, all these weaknesses, then I think this will eventually have an impact, not of course on the Nazi group, unfortunately the Nazi group will remain Nazi no matter what, but on the big chunk of the American people who are not Nazi, I, I refuse to think that 30% of the American people are racist. I refuse to think, at least racist at the level uh, that we're talking here. And it says, we are all racist in some dimension, uh, and, uh, but, uh, but I think that racist to that level, I refuse to think about it. And, and I think it's important to separate uh, some legitimate conservative from some uh, extremist. Great. I'll follow up on that point that's from the crowd. Um, you, you started off your past answer saying that, to your knowledge, Bannon really hadn't said any um, the sort of racial things that other provocateurs have. But do you consider Bannon to be responsible for or complicit in the published headlines on Breitbart? So, excuse my language, but just to give some examples, um, headlines have included phrases such as renegade Jew and, again, excuse my language, trannies. Um, do you consider him complicit in that sort of language as well, or how do you try to separate out the man from um, his media outlet? I, I know that he is playing with uh, racist feelings. I think I do consider him responsible. He was the uh, director of uh, Breitbart, so uh, if something comes out in Breitbart, you are responsible for that. So there is no doubt in my mind that he has used that uh, for his propaganda. Okay, uh, the question is, is this all that he is, or there is something else? And can he articulate a vision that is different? And can we articulate a vision that uh, address some of the concern that he's trying to address uh, without that component? Because I think it's easy to be like I am, a privilege, and, and love everybody around the world, okay? You're not threatened by anybody. Uh, you go in a lot of places, <clears throat> they lose jobs, and uh, when you lose jobs, you tend to blame somebody. And, uh, and it's easy to blame the person that looks different. Uh, I don't consider that person necessarily a racist. I consider a desperate, and I want to address his desperation rather than blaming to be racist and not consider his desperation. Um, yeah, so um, you said at the very beginning of this um, that we should be um, tolerant with intolerance, right? Um, no, intolerant with intolerance. Intolerant of intolerance. Yes. Okay, um, so then I'll follow up on that. Um, so 
you consider intolerant speech to uh, include the legal definition of hate speech? Um, and, and, and that just like inciting violence, insane, unspecific racist uh, slurs, or if you expand this definition to include speech like bans, uh, because you did mention that, um, that he's responsible for everything that comes out of Breitbart. Um, and you can quote him as, um, as using Breitbart as the uh, mouthpiece of the alt-right. So do you, um, do you view that speech as an intolerant impairment? So I think that uh, inciting directed to violence uh, and uh, doing hate crime is a crime itself and should be so per persecuted by the law. So if he has done hate crime, should be prosecuted, and uh, there is no question. Uh, in uh, what is the nuances between that and uh, um, any speech becomes much more difficult. When I was saying everybody is a racist, you know that there is this test in psychology called implicit association test. And uh, I don't know whether you read the book Blink by Malcolm uh, Gladwell. And uh, he um, is African-American himself. And he did the test. And he came out racist. And uh, racist, racially biased. Okay, And uh, I'm actually very annoyed by that. And I uh, did the test many, many times. But anyway, I can tell you a long story. But uh, the point is, uh, we all suffer of some form of biases. Uh, some are clearly much more pronounced than others. Where do you draw the line? I think it's very easy to draw the line with the law. Uh, my fear in, in saying I don't want you on campus is uh, that uh, I might get out of campus if I don't pass the implicit association test at a certain level. So say, are we going to go to a, a sort of a, a purity test in which you do the IIT? And if the IIT is above a certain level, you're out. Um, that, that doesn't seem like uh, the society we want. So uh, I'm, t I'm taking two extremes. In, in, in between is a matter of conversation, and, and we need to figure out. So one thing I am studying is what am I doing to make sure that if any hate speech or uh, things will be done in the panel, we're going to interrupt immediately the debate uh, and cancel it. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about sort of what do I do to limit the conversation in that moment. Uh, the saying that uh, uh, the, the guilt by association becomes a little bit dangerous, a bit like McCarthy. Uh, in the McCarthy era, there was clearly some spy, communist spy. Uh, then there were some legitimate communists that were absolutely right to be communists and were a spy. And then there were the friend of the communists. And at some point, all of them went sort of uh, ostracized by McCarthy. So it's very uh, risky to, to go to the extreme. Great, let's get another question here in the back.
Okay, so if saying that uh, there is a, if I say billionaires are, are disproportionate influence in the American politics, yes. am I anti-Semitic? No, but that's okay. not. I think that was more of an example of like the Republican Party at large and like specific historical reasons and that was talking about Trump in particular. I think is the most fair framing of that. But I think that, no, 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 I, I think that uh, th this is a uh, sort of uh, uh, a very good example in the sense that uh, can I criticize the Republican Party for the way they do the primaries and for the fact that Edelson or Mercer or people like this have a disproportionate influence? Uh, and is my criticism uh, necessarily anti-Semitic? I don't think so. In, I know I think, in my... I think if you're, uh, if you're Steve Bannon and you have been the head of a publication Okay, I'm, I'm not sure what, what is the question. My question is what it is, which is do you have any specific criteria for what you do and do not consider acceptable speech within the context of your panel because you have already conceded that there is a point where it will become unacceptable. So you have conceded that not all speech is acceptable. So there must be some point then where we make the decision and I want to know as the person controlling this event, what is your Great, thank you. you no, know, I, I think it's, a, it's an excellent question that we are sort of uh, thinking about. Uh, today with uh, my group, we're saying we need to think about what is the uh, sort of uh, uh, red bottom strategy uh, of uh, the things are going off end and we need to interrupt and what is the trigger point. I don't have, I'm thinking about this, I don't have a trigger point. If you wanna help me in determining what the trigger point, I, I benefit from the help of anybody. So I think that uh, you're very much welcome. So uh, if you tell me what is your trigger point, it's not, it's not an easy one, I understand. Uh, and I, I will take responsibility for the line I put, so I don't wanna blame you. Uh, but uh, if you wanna suggest what is, what is the line that you consider acceptable, I will listen to it. Great. Yeah, um, <clears throat> before you said, uh, along with that, you First of all, I don't consider it that easy because not too long ago, the law advocated segregation. Um, so it's kind of easy to just go along with it without saying anything. But also, you've established that you're against um, ideological violence. However, Bannon is someone who's incited racial violence and attacks, and you are giving him a significant platform, a university of this prestige, as you said it has, uh, to someone who does directly cause this violence. Not protest violence like the uh, Red Brigade's trying to shut people down, which can be seen as a racial targeted violence against minorities, people of color, you know, the list goes on. Uh, so how can you share responsibility and say superiority above your pay grade for directly amplifying the message of someone who incites such horrific violence? 
can you actually provide me the quotes in which Bannon incite violence? Because that's a crime. So uh, you provide me the quote, you provide also the quote to uh, the local prosecutor to, to put him in jail. Would because you argue then that Bannon's speech, Bannon's responsibility as editor-in-chief of Breitbart has had no impact on um, racial violence or attacks in the country? Because you know there were three people killed in Seattle about a year ago in an alt-right attack. The person was influenced heavily by Breitbart. No, let's distinguish two things. One is, does he flirt with the staff? Might he be responsible for inciting violence indirectly? Absolutely. That's the speech where the, the conversation we had earlier. I think it's important to confront him and say, so where do you be on, on this line? Because like in, uh, in, the, in Italy in the past, uh, the contiguity is feeding exactly the extremists. So it's important to make him accountable of this contiguity and make him choose on what side of the line he will be. So I'm very happy to do that. Uh, just saying that you don't have the right to speak just because you have flirted with this is a bit dangerous because where, where is the flirting and what is the line? I think it's difficult to, to draw. I think that uh, in a debate you can do two things. One, you, you can challenge and learn from the challenge. I don't know what, why the two things are in contradiction. I, I want to sort of uh, ask him questions, and at the same time, I want to make him accountable for stuff and see how he reacts. I don't think that the two goals are in contradictions. Great, let's get a couple more questions in here. Madeline? You asked for some specific quotes uh, from Steve Bannon about the you asked Peter what Steve Bannon said, so I'm going to read you a couple things that he has said. Excuse my language, these are the words as they were presented. Uh, so just to understand, this is stuff that in court he said, not stuff that was written in Bright but he said. Yes, this is, these are coming from the mouth of Steve Bannon. Okay. This, no, no, is a deposition, this is part of a deposition from his ex-wife. The biggest problem he had with the Archer School for Girls is the number of Jews that attend. He said that he doesn't like Jews, and he doesn't like the way they raise their kids to be whiny brats, and he didn't want the girls going to school with Jews. And here's another one. He's a, here's a homophobic wait, remark. Wait, wait. This is the deposition of his ex-wife. I've got more. Okay. <laughs> no, I just don't like to understand, because I don't see the quote, so I want to understand. This she, is she was quoting him, Professor. She was using his words. She was he, under he, oath. He, I, I think you know, for in, the sake of argument, let's assume that what she said was true. Wait, wait, wait a second. So I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Another, I'm sorry. In a divorce settlement, in a divorce trial, I'm not so sure you want to take everything that an angry spouse says as the truth. Right. It might be true, but I, sort of uh, by that standard, a lot of people will go to jail. Right, okay? Here's a higher standard. Here's a homophobic <laughs> remark made about the women's movement. What's one of the unintended consequences of the women's liberation movement? That in fact, the women would leave this country, would be feminine, they would be pro-family, they would have husbands, they would love their children, they wouldn't be a bunch of dykes that came from the Seven Sisters school. Um, and he's also said, and I'll finish with this, that his platform um, 
that Breitbart provides a platform for the alt-right. That is a direct quote. Uh, I can't source it. It's been said many times. Google <coughs> banned platform from the alt-right. No Biden. Are there racist people involved in the alt-right? Absolutely. Look, are there some people that are white nationalists that are attracted to the philosophies of the alt-right? Maybe. Are there some people that are anti-Semitic? Are there some people that are anti-Semitic that are attracted? Maybe. Right. Maybe some people are attracted to, to the alt-right. They're homophobes. Right. And he doesn't disavow any of these groups. Great, so is there like a finishing question or, sorry. So uh, with some specific examples, how would you address this question? I think that this is exactly the kind of things that I'm collecting to ask him to respond. If, if this is the, the version of nationalism, yes. He said that uh, we're not an economy, we are a people. And uh, what I wanna know is who is in this people? I probably am not in this people. I'm an immigrant uh, with a strong accent, so I probably don't belong to his definition of people. And uh, last time I checked, I'm not tall, blonde, and blue eyes. So I, I think that uh, I don't fit in the stereotype of uh, what he considers the people. But I want him to discuss whether it's, uh, this is uh, his feeling, is, is a feeling based on racism, or is a feeling based on something else? Oh, um, I think there was a question raised earlier about where you draw the line, and I think there are two separate questions there, mm -hmm. where you draw the line in who you decide to invite, mm -hmm. and then where you draw the line in protesting to disinvite a speaker who has already been invited by someone. Mm -hmm. um, and one may be easier to answer for you than the other, but last week I had the chance to interview Professor Stone, who is a mm -hmm. professor at the law school, mm -hmm. um, specializes in First Amendment free speech, and at one point in the interview I did ask him the question, you know, if instead of Bannon, Professor Zingales had invited Hitler to come speak on campus, um, excuse the exaggeration, mm -hmm. would Professor Stone protest that mm -hmm. um, or call for you to disinvite Hitler? Mm -hmm. He said no. Um, I'd actually be interested to hear what Hitler says. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if I could just pose the same question to you. If someone else had invited someone who, you know, historically could be regarded as much more dangerous, much more violent than someone like Bannon, would you also uphold their right to free speech and come just come to speak on this campus? Um, I think that, uh, let, let me think about, uh, so would I have invited Mao, for example, in, uh, to the university? Probably yes. Uh, Mao killed more people than probably Hitler and Stalin put together, uh, but, uh, I think that, uh, uh, nonetheless, I think I would have a conversation with him, yes. Uh, in, uh, would I invite uh, Hitler? I think I would distinguish uh, early Hitler from later Hitler. I think that uh, uh, it would have been very useful to know ahead of time what it was about. I, I, j I recently read uh, an interview that Hitler gave to an Italian newspaper in 1923. In 1923, uh, Mussolini was already in power in Italy and uh, Hitler was not in power in Germany. And uh, it was interesting, the, the, the interviewer was actually a, an Italian uh, Jewish person, and uh, Hitler said very openly, I was shocked, said, uh, I love Mussolini, but Mussolini is not tough enough with Jewish people and socialists. You have actually to crush them. This was in the interview in the newspaper. Uh, so I think it was very helpful if you had uh, seen early on uh, 
what Hitler was made of. And I think that uh, not uh, recognizing and a lot of people underestimated the risk of Hitler because they actually did not interview him early on. So when you distinguish early and late Hitler, the distinguishing line that you're drawing, in essence, is not so much that he became more violent, but that he was no longer productive as a speaker because what had happened already no, happened. No, no, it's, it's both. Of course, in this is in, uh, uh, I'm, first of all, I'm not so sure that uh, in, uh, let's say, 1942 or 43 was a, anything useful you could learn from Hitler at the time. Uh, second was already known to, to what I've done. Uh, and so I don't see as that a particularly productive thing. In, uh, in 1923, uh, it was not clear what he was standing for. He was gaining some traction. And you want to be exposed to what uh, people are about in order to, uh, so if, if the world had known earlier what Hitler was standing for, I think that would have been a better thing, no? Great, we have time for two more questions and then some follow-up remarks. Yes. Um, I wanted to ask you a bit about your position regarding the research of the university in general, mm -hmm. uh, with the recognition that you're not representing the entire university's views. Thank you. <laughs> um, I just wanted to hear your perspective on it, especially sure. with the uh, recent Maroon article uh, regarding Samantha Iyer Driscoll. And um, I'm going to quote specifically from the article here, which states, uh, Zingales and Bannon's speech is more protected by the university than her speech. Then going on to mention the fact that um, the HR at Booth tells her that um, the free speech doesn't extend to staff in the way that they do to faculty and students. So how do you kind of reconcile the way that the um, administration, particularly the higher up fa uh, faculty in the university, kind of seem to applaud the free speech of someone who is this controversial, and yet uh, simultaneously um, going against kind of the ability of free speech of faculty that you consider kind of lower tier ones that aren't as high up as administration? Actually, I think it's important to distinguish uh, free speech and conscientious objection, okay? Um, by the way, I recognize immediately to Samantha conscientious objection, even if the university does not sort of uh, mandate that or there is not. And the only tension was because after uh, recognizing that, I asked her to actually help me collect all the idiot quotes that uh, Bannon uh, made and she said that was a Bannon-related event. I thought this would be a labor of law because she hates Bannon, so I didn't ask her to find everything that Bannon did right in life that I understand could be repugnant for her, but I asked to actually dig up the dirt. So, but anyway, that, that's a aside. But I think it's important to distinguish between freedom of speech and conscientious objection, which I said I granted out of my sort of personal belief, but I had no obligation to grant, and it's not recognized, as far as I know, I'm not a lawyer, at the university level. The conscientious objection is something a bit tricky, because if I am a, a doctor and I am anti-abortion, I can refuse to do an abortion. If I am a, a Catholic who doesn't believe in gay marriage, I can refuse to marry two people. I can refuse as a worker to prepare the cake for two people who are gay. So where do, and how big it is, because at some point, I have a conscientious objection anything I do at work. So I get paid, and, and I'm not saying that Samantha was doing that, I'm saying just uh, it's a tricky issue where you put the limit on this. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know what the 
law of the land is and what the university does out of uh, uh, sort of uh, understanding for the pain of Samantha because she's a very good employee and I know she feels very strongly about this. So I granted union actually to her this um, and um, I, I don't know what, what I've done wrong, honestly. Okay, one last question. So I wanted to draw a distinction between freedom of speech and conscientious objection. My question is, don't you think it's dangerous uh, the kind of conflation that you've been making this entire time between freedom of speech and like right to have work on the platform banned once? So, so right to have, I, I missed the last sentence. Right oh, so you, you've been uh, saying this entire time No, because first of all, I don't think I'm giving him a platform. I'm not inviting him to give a speech. I'm inviting him to a debate, which is very different than giving a, a, a speech. And I think that uh, calling freedom of speech, freedom of uh, in, uh, intellectual inquiry, um, I think that especially in the university, uh, we should have that. Uh, one faculty in actually anatomy sent me a, a very uh, interesting letter this morning uh, saying that uh, I he believes in the freedom of speech but also thinks that uh, freedom comes with responsibilities and I have the responsibility not to invite somebody that is so offensive to the rest of the community and I said it's funny that you mentioned because uh, dissecting cadavers uh, was considered very offensive to everybody in the Middle Ages but thank God that the Italian University started to dissect cadavers because medicine will not have been born without that. So uh, I don't think that uh, the way in which we pursue our analysis, we talk to people, should be determined by a majority rule, should be determined by the freedom rule. And that's part of what uh, the intellectual inquiry is about. Uh, and uh, in a sense, we are paying for that. We're paying to teach you, but we're paying also to pursue this. And I, and I think that, that if there is a difference between employees and, and, and staff employees and, and faculty, is the staff employees are not paid to pursue sort of research and faculty is. And uh, I don't think you want a world in which the majority determines what you can research, what you can study, and what you cannot. Great, and on that note, I want to thank everyone for coming today. I also want to thank Professor Zingales. He did not have to do a town hall like this. He offered to do so. We tried to put it together as quickly as possible. Um, just some concluding remarks. For students who are interested in counter-programming or demonstrations, there will be university and student government um, funds available to do so. So we really want to make sure that all students feel empowered to both support or not support an event like this. That was the motivating idea behind a town hall like this. So we want to make sure that students know that's available. If people have any specific questions, they can feel free to talk to me. I'll be around for a few minutes afterwards. Um, and if not, thanks everyone for your okay, Monday. Can I have two, two things? Oh yeah. 
number one, I would really uh, would like a suggestion for you on how to minimize the risk that the counter-protest, uh, number one, exists, uh, and number two, most importantly, degenerate into uh, even sort of anti-Semitic things, but even more importantly, if it becomes violent. Uh, but I would like to avoid all this, this, this thing. So uh, if you have suggestions on how to minimize this risk, um, I will be very grateful. Uh, the second, uh, I would love to have uh, your help in uh, making Bannon accountable. So I told uh, uh, Kevin that uh, if you guys come up with a talented student who want to be co-moderator with me in the debate, I'm very happy to have him or her uh, as my co-moderator in the debate. Uh, so I don't know how you want to play this, this uh, or if you want me to do an open call for people who are interested and select uh, the most talented one and the most prepared one. I would like this to be an opportunity of learning. We are a learning education. I think that this, this meeting for me was a learning opportunity. Hopefully it was also for you. And I would be would like to continue in this uh, in this sense and direction. Okay, thank you.